Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Stew Effect. I'm Stuart Myers. We are Tuesday, December 29th, 2020. Two days now until 2021. And also, that means that the day after tomorrow, the Stew Effect's recap of 2020, the year that wasn't. We'll recap all the top stories of 2020, the top stories in the news, sports, entertainment. We'll also pay tribute to the people who have passed on uh, this year. So tune in this Thursday for our special recap 2020 episode of The Stew Effect. The song that you heard uh, to open the show was Sleigh Ride, the instrumental song Sleigh Ride. You've heard in numerous TV commercials and great song for this time of year. We have... A great show for you today, what you need to know in news of sports and our take on life as we're coming up on the 11th anniversary of the late night controversy between Conan O'Brien and Jay Leno. We're going to look back at both conflicts. We'll start off with the 1992 conflict between Jay Leno and David Letterman, and then we will talk about the latest conflict that happened about 11 years ago between Conan O'Brien and Jay Leno. All that coming up on the stew effect but now here is what you need to know quebec health authorities reported 2381 deaths uh, new cases of covid-19 on tuesday bringing the total number of cases in the province since the start of the pandemic to 197311 of them 21125 are active Tuesday's update numbers come as the province records its first case of the coronavirus coronavirus variant from the UK. Quebec is now recording around 2,200 new cases per day. Health Minister Christian Dubé said in an afternoon news conference, he says there's even been a slight increase over the past few days. He said, I must admit, I would like, I would have liked to have to be here today with better news. Quebec also reported another 64 deaths linked to the disease on Tuesday bringing the provincial death toll to 8,124. Of the latest deaths, 17 occurred in the past 24 hours. 39 are from between December 22nd and December 27th, and one is from before December 22nd, and seven are from an unknown date. Hospitalizations in Quebec increased by seven from Monday to Tuesday, and there are now 1,131 people receiving treatment for COVID-19 in hospitals across the province. Of them, 148 are in the intensive care ward, which is two fewer than Monday's total. Montreal reported 968 new cases on Tuesday, which brings the city's total to 69,648 cases since the start of the pandemic. Montérégie reported 322 new cases, bringing their total to 27,626. Quebec City, uh, 218 which gives a total of 17,314. Laval with 208 cases, totaling 16,188. And Morisi, 128, totaling 9,528 cases. La Nodier reported 123 new cases, totaling 14,831. Uh, Chaudière, Appalaches, 179, 109, totaling 8,014. And La or sorry, I should say the Laurentians, 107 cases, bringing their total to 10,609. Quebec reported that another 2,857 doses of the COVID-19 vaccine were administered on Monday for a total of 22,500 across the province. 
As of Tuesday, 168,061 people are confirmed recovered from COVID-19 in Quebec, up 1,995 from Monday. Quebec reported that it completed analysis of 23,444 COVID-19 samples on December 27th. Quebec reports its daily testing figures from two days prior. Montreal police received just under 700 complaints about people and establishments who weren't respecting COVID-19 health guidelines over Christmas, the force announced on Tuesday. Between December 21st and December 27th, the SPVM said it received 693 calls, leading to 34 fines. The force also said that within the same time frame, it inspected two licensed establishments, 7,873 businesses, and 31 locations categorized as other. Despite the province, uh, despite the province, uh, the provincial government's decision to ban holiday gatherings, officials expressed concern that people would get together anyway. During a press conference leading up to the holidays, the government said sales at the SAQ were skyrocketing, leading them to believe that Quebecers were preparing to host parties. Quebec's health minister, meantime, is confirming the province's first case of a more contagious COVID-19 variant that was first identified in the United Kingdom. Christian Dubé said today. The person who tested positive is a family member of someone who returned from the UK on December 11th. The health department said the traveler and three members of the family all tested positive, but only one of them has been confirmed to be carrying what's known as the S variant. The variant was first identified in the UK, but has since spread to several other countries and has been confirmed by health authorities in BC, Alberta, and Ontario. Canada's public health agency says that while Early data suggests the new variant may be more transmissible. There's no evidence the variant causes more severe symptoms of COVID-19 or impacts vaccine effectiveness. Meanwhile, Montreal, okay, the 2020 COVID-19 pandemic upended both the way we spend our money and how much everything costs. Who knew a year ago we would stock up on endless amounts of toilet paper, pay obscene amounts of money for disinfectant wipes, and forego some amazing travel deals to hermit at home. Experts say the new year will likely continue to bring higher prices across many categories of spending, with demand for non-essential purchases potentially resuming towards the end of 2021. From groceries to housing, here is a look at what will likely be more expensive or cost about the same in 2021. In groceries, the cost of groceries is on track to have risen about 2.5% in 2020, according to to uh, Janzan, and it's a trend that is anticipated to continue in the new year as the fallout from the pandemic continues to be felt, with food inflation seen outpacing the general inflation rate. While RBC is forecasting a 2 to 2.5% increase in food prices from 2021, Canada's food price report is predicting a steeper rise of 3 to 5% overall. Meat and vegetable prices are expected to increase between 4.5 and 6.5%, while fruits are expected to cost between 2 and 4% more. Border, plant, and distribution centers, closures, labor shortages, logistic disruptions, unemployment, shifts in consumer demand modifications in production, manufacturing distribution, and retailing practices to enhance safety were all cited as key reasons why Canadian grocery bills went up. According to a report published by researchers at Dalhousie University with support of the University of Guelph, the University of Saskatchewan, and the University of British Columbia. That bill could climb another $695 more in 2021 compared to 2020 for a family of four, research predicted. Meanwhile, a weaker Canadian dollar impacts the buying 
the buying power of importers, meaning items coming into the country will also cost more. A slump in the oil prices and a weak loony pushes the price of imported goods higher in, in 2020. And the Dalhousie report suggests that it will also continue in 2021. And in retail, for many retailers and retail services, the costs associated with COVID-19 protocols from enhanced cleaning practices to protective gear and plexiglass shields for staff are likely to remain and be passed on to the consumers. Gasoline, 2020 was a wild year for oil with crude prices collapsing into negative territory for the first time in history in April as coronavirus restrictions and their economic impacts and demand for oil plunging. Mortgage and interest rates are also scheduled to uh, increase. Home prices as well. And for travel, while prices for international flights spiked in some cases earlier this year, the overall average cost of airfare has fallen as much as 35 or more percent in recent months, according to Airlines Reporting Corporation, the firm which provides flight ticket settlement services between airlines and travel agencies, says tickets will still fluctuate along the normal seasonal price curve, even as it remains near historic lows. It's too soon to tell when the cost of travel will rebound back to pre-COVID levels, but there could be a surge in demand for travel and hospitality services towards the back end of 2021. Jazen said it will hinge on how the vaccine rollout progress and to what extent a post-COVID-19 normal life can resume. Meantime, Ganawagi will stop selling tobacco products to people from outside the community on January 1st, 2021, in an effort to limit the spread of COVID-19. Ganawagi peacekeepers, the local police force, will be issuing fines to outsiders trying to buy tobacco in the Mohawk community south of Montreal. All tobacco stores will be closed. Essential businesses like gas stations and convenience stores are limited to selling tobacco to local residents only and can be fined up to $10,000 for selling to outsiders. The community updated its alert status to red on October 1st, 2020. Household visits have been prohibited and non-essential businesses have closed, while health officials say the risk of transmission remains extremely high. A man in his 70s is dead following a two-car collision in St. Pascal on Monday afternoon. The incident happened around noon on the Route 230, according to the Sûreté du Québec. The police said the vehicle was driven by the victim, which was traveling eastbound, veered into the oncoming lane for an unknown reason. The drivers of both vehicles were taken to hospital where the man was pronounced dead. Federal court records say a 39-year-old Montreal man is facing a cocaine traffic charge that was part of border uh, effort to transport 1,500 1, kilos from Peru to Vermont. The court documents do not say what the, unlimit, the uh, ultimate destination of the cocaine was, but a number of people involved in the deal had traveled to Vermont from Canada. Court records say Georges Yagmore was arrested in Florida last month. His attorney did not return a call seeking comment. The shipments of cocaine were part of the same plan that resulted in the kidnapping of a couple from Mora in New York in late September who were smuggled to Canada before they were rescued by Quebec police. And that's what you need to know in news. We'll be back with what you need to know in sports in just a moment. Y'all ready for this? We are back with what you need to know in sports. And Devin Levy, unex- Devin Levy's unexpected um, emergence as Canada's starting goaltender fits with an unusual 2021 Real Junior Hockey Championship. Levy from Dollar Desarmo, Quebec, is just 
the third goalie in the last 40 years of Canadian junior teams not to come from one of the country's three major junior leagues. Canada faces Switzerland today, and the game's going to get underway at uh, 5.30 this afternoon. And uh, all 10 participating teams are wailed off from the general public and are playing games in an empty Rogers place because of the pandemic. A junior A star last season with the Carleton Place Canadians and a Northeastern University freshman this season, Levy wasn't invited to Canada's summer camp. He spent spent more days uh, isolating in a hotel room during the selection camp than he did on the ice because two Canadian teammates tested positive for the COVID-19 virus. How Levy spent the 14 days alone in the hotel room as a window into his personality. He says yoga, hand-eye coordination, drills, visualization, video uh, analysis, and school homework more than filled the time between in-room workouts and team video meetings. I honestly pack my day to the point where I can't get everything done. Um, that's what he says. And then, uh, so the Canada will take on uh, today. Of course, Braden uh, Schneider returns to Canada's lineup after serving a one-game suspension for checking uh, German forward in the head. Starting down the possibility of starting a campaign of 0-3 for the first time since their dreadful 2005-2006 season, the Toronto Raptors won't have an easy time of things facing off against the Philadelphia 76ers at 7 o'clock tonight. Uh, uh, led by the all-star duo of Ben Simons and Joel Embid, the Sixers remain as talented and threatening as ever. And without Toronto's former fearsome center, twosome of Mark Gasol and Serge Ibaka to neutralize Embiid, it could be a long night for the Raptors. With that said, however, the tiny bit of worry and adversity Toronto is facing right now, starting the season 0-2 with a good opponent in its sights next may be just what the Raptors need right now, oddly enough. If this Kyle Lowry-led era of Raptors basketball taught us anything over the past seven-plus seasons, it's that the Raptors are a resilient bunch that know how to bounce back from a few bumps in the road. And a great way to illustrate that point would be a big win over a big Atlantic Division and Eastern Conference rival like the 76ers. Here's a closer look at what we might be in for in Tuesday evening's affair. Embed has not enjoyed facing the Raptors the past two seasons, thanks largely to efforts of Gasol. The Raptors have effectively made him a non-factor since Nick Nurse took over as head coach of the team with the last season's notorious zero-point 0 for 11 performance on November 25th, 2019, being a perfect example of just how effective Toronto's been at shutting him down. Things may be different this go around, however. No longer with Gasol and Ibaka on the roster, Nurse will need to go with his new centers to try to slow Embiid down. And the other thing is, after practice Monday, Nurse was asked about Norman Powell, and being the honest guy he is, the Raptors coach kind of called Powell out a little. And uh, that's what a look at the Raptors uh, game tonight. Raptors 76ers tonight, 730, uh, 7 p.m. And you can catch it rather than you can catch that game on Sportsnet. We're back with a take on life. Late, the late night controversies back in a moment.
we are back on the Stu Effect. It's our take on life. And you heard the song that just played the late night theme with Jay Leno as we look back at the 2010 late show uh, and tonight show conflict. Because as it's coming up on 11 years that NBC decided to give Jay Leno back the tonight show. We're going to first give you a little background and history of what uh of what happened with that. So here we go. So a little bit of background. On May 22nd, 1992, Johnny Carson, host of NBC's Tonight Show for nearly 30 years, retired from the program at the age of 66. The network signed Jay Leno, Carson's prominent guest host, to become pro the program's fourth host upon Carson's exit. Carson clearly held the view, the position held view, the position should be given to David Letterman, host of his own program, Late Night, which directly followed Carson's Tonight Show for 10 years. NBC tried to appease both stars, but Letterman left the network in a very public conflict that resulted in the creation of his show, uh, creation of his own comp competing show on CBS, which began in 1993, The Late Show with David Letterman. The first truly substantial. Uh, competing franchise to tonight regularly won in the Nielsen ratings against Leno for two years, proving for the first time that late night television and the profits that came with it could exist beyond the Tonight Show. Leno's Tonight Show star started rocky prior to Letterman's move. NBC considered matching CBS's offer to allow Letterman to take over from Leno. Letterman beat Leno, Letterman beat Leno for nearly two years until August 1995, when Leno welcomed Hugh Grant, who recently been arrested. For soliciting a prostitute. What the hell were you thinking? Leno asked to applause. To a previously booked appearance on Tonight, from that point on, Leno beat Letterman in the ratings, and the Tonight Show with Jay Leno remained number one over the next 14 years for Leno's entire run. NBC chose to continue the late night franchise, and the suggestion of Tonight Live producer Lorne Michaels hired Conan O'Brien, a relatively unknown writer for SNL and The Simpsons, to take over. The time slot beginning in 1993. Late Night with Conan O'Brien was constantly at risk of cancel of, for cancellation in its early years. At one po at one low point in 1994, four, NBC threatened to put him on a week-to-week -week contract. Executives were anxious to replace him with Greg Kinnear, who followed O'Brien with later on at 1:30 a.m. But Kinnear left to pursue a career in acting later on. Interns filled empty seats in the audience while affiliates began to inquire about replacement hosts. Things improved for the show slowly, mostly revolving around O'Brien's performance. And by 1996, O'Brien's audience, largely younger and male, a coveted demographic, grew steadily. And the show began to beat competitors in the ratings, which would continue to do for 15 years. A notable episode of O'Brien's tenure at the show came when Letterman asked to appear as a guest and say some kind words to him. O'Brien considered this the turning point that changed everything for him, which he mentioned while playing, paying tribute to Letterman in an opening monologue of his own talk show on CBS, TBS, which aired the same night as Letterman's final show. O'Brien notably asked his viewers to turn him off and watch Letterman later on in the monologue. Now, the early history of the contract renewals Near in the turn of the millennium, NBC's late night lineup was Leno at 11.35, Conan O'Brien at 12.35, and Saturday Night Live on the weekend remained a leader in the ratings. By 2001, O'Brien's contract with NBC had less than a year left to run, and despite arguably coming into his own in the preceding years, the network was reluctant 
to pay him on the same scale as other late-night hosts. That year, competing network Fox mounted an extended comprehensive campaign to lure O'Brien away from NBC, viewing a style suitable for Fox's image, young, hip, somewhat submissive. News Corporation chairman and CEO Peter Chernin pursued O'Brien personally, taking him and executive producer Jeff Ross to dinner on several occasions. Fox's plan involved making O'Brien the network's signature star. His program would begin 30 minutes before Leno's and Letterman's. The news local news broadcast earlier than other networks, allowing the head start, and he would receive cross-promotion via its animated division and on Sunday NFL games. Chairman also offered the host seven times his current pay, a jump from $3 million to $21 million. Ross, friends with NBC President and CEO Jeff Zucker, informed him that Fox was aggressively pursuing O'Brien. NBC returned with a more realistic offer, bumping up O'Brien's salary to $8 million and renewing him through 2005. While many of O'Brien's professional advisors and managers pushed for the Fox deal, O'Brien's desire to one day perhaps take over The Tonight Show after Leno made it a difficult decision. O'Brien, like many comedians, held had grown up idolizing Carson's uh, incarceration. Chubb warned O'Brien that waiting around for Leno to leave would be only an invitation to long-term disappointment and potentially a path toward undermining a promising career. Nevertheless, O'Brien signed a new deal with NBC in March of 2002. The contract, uh, the, uh, the contract extended through 2005 and most significantly contained an explicit Prince of Wales clause that solidified the official line of succession. If anything were to happen to Leno, O'Brien would step in. O'Brien's successfully hosting job at the 2002 54th Primetime Emmys sent out the most resounding message yet about his growing strength as a performer. And a year later, NBC broadcast O'Brien's 10th anniversary special in prime time. By the time Leno's contract again came up for renewal, a discussion would be needed regarding the future of The Tonight Show. Facing the prospect of attempting to keep both Leno and O'Brien, Zucker made the final call on Leno's deal. Yes, we'll extend your deal, but this is your last contract. Time to hand over the keys. The plan would extend Leno four additional years, after which he would give The Tonight Show to O'Brien. In February 2004, NBC executive Mark Garboff informed Ross of the conversation and in turn ran the idea of waiting four more years to O'Brien, who was immediately receptive. Zucker, along with top late-night executives, uh, Rick Ludwin, Ludwin, met with Leno in March at the Burbank Studios to discuss the contract extension and explained the network's stance on handing over the show to O'Brien. While Leno quietly left both disappointed and befuddled, he not only did not want to see himself and O'Brien go through the same dilemma he and Letterman faced 12 years earlier and agreed to the plans. He only request, his only request was that NBC wait to announce O'Brien's installment as host well after the extension to which the executives agreed. While Leno handed, handled the news professionally to Zucker's relief, he soon headed the Tonight Show producer Debbie Vickers' office to lead the charade, prepping interviews with unclear, vague statements about his future. On September 27, 2004, O'Brien officially signed on to become the next host of The Tonight Show. NBC allowed the first comment, aside from the press release, to come from Leno on The Tonight Show, because this, you know, this show is like a dynasty, Leno said. You hold it, and then you hand it off to the next person, and I don't want to see all the fighting and all the who's better and nasty things back and forth in the press. So right now, here it is. Conan, it's yours. See you in five years, buddy. In reality, Leno was incredulous. In private conversations, he likened his removal from The Tonight Show to the end of a relationship, noting that he was loyal and still ended up heartbroken. 
from the perspective from the, his perspective NBC's decision made no sense as this show had remained number one in ratings of constantly brought in money he began frequently lamenting his confusion to producer Vickers explaining that he was sick of lying about when people inquired about his retirement eventually he began mulling over the his options after tonight telling staff that after the transition they could simply move to ABC and work at the Disney not far from their current Burbank studio his frustration with the situation came across in his nightly monologues as more jokes regarding NBC's fourth place position in the ratings as well as jokes regarding the fourth transition began to appear while NBC executives tended not to worry in the immediate years following the decision by 2007, Zucker began to ponder what losing Leno might mean for the network. Around this time, Fox and NBC began to court Leno privately, conveying interest in holding discreet conversations. Among uh, the offers made to Leno by NBC's competitors were lucrative, a lucrative one for a syndicated program by Sony Pictures. In early 2008, Zucker began to make trips to the Burbank studio in an effort to keep Leno. He gave him numerous suggestions, including a Bob Hope-type deal, high-profile specials, a Sunday night primetime show, or even a nightly cable show on USA. Executives began to entertain an ideal solution, paying off O'Brien and retaining Leno, but Zucker viewed the idea as outrageous. By this time, MBC had already broke ground on a new studio for O'Brien's Tonight Show, reinventing Stage 1 at the Universal Lot of University City for reported $50 million. During a spring lunch meeting with Jeff Ross, NBC Sports Chief Dick Ebersol advised that O'Brien retire silly antics such as a signature string dance and focus more on pitching his show to middle america which would involve stretching out his monologue o'brien then a year away from inheriting sacred ground of the tonight show was indeed lengthening his monologue but viewed suggestions from ludwin as largely unnecessary i think people are overthinking the high the 12 30 to 11 30 shift he said instead desired to put his own stamp on the show's tradition by this point o'brien's Highly popular, high popularity at the time of the contract signing had gone down slightly. He had opted not to change his act to suit a more mainstream audience, as NBC imagined he would, and CBS's Craig Ferguson, who occupied the post-Letterman slot, had begun to occasionally beat O'Brien in uh, overall ratings, though internal anxiety increased among executives most tended to split support to still support O'Brien. Zucker's last resort for Leno was a namely 10 a nightly 10 p.m. program. As ratings slipped in entirely for 10 p.m. shows on NBC, he imagined nightly Leno at 10 could perhaps produce a paradigm shift and reverse NBC's fortunes. On November 8, 2008, Leno verbally agreed to stay at the network, producing a nightly 10 p.m. variety show titled The Jay Leno Show, and phoned ABC and Fox to inform them. Zucker and Ludwin planned to meet with O'Brien later to explain the deal, but as word leaked out to the New York Times, they decided to meet with him directly following that night's show. The following meeting, Ross and O'Brien met with writers and mulled over the decision. O'Brien insistently felt uneased, but he was still in essence of receiving the Tonight Show. He remained calm. Late night with Conan O'Brien officially signed off uh, the following February, followed by the Tonight Show with Jay Leno, May 29th. Much of O'Brien's entire staff moved cross-country to Los Angeles to prepare his version of the Tonight Show. He and his staff threw themselves into developing the program and remained concerned regarding NBC's commitment or lack of one. Meanwhile, senior-level executives at NBC predicted that Leno's show would be roundly, would be roundly beaten by hour-long dramas on competing networks and cable, dooming the network's exper experiment. In announcing the 10 p.m. show on the Tonight Show, Leno said, "People are asking me what are you going to do after the Late Show? Are you going to go on vacation? This kind of stuff. Actually, I'm going to be going to, to a secluded spot where no one can find me." 
NBC primetime. As most of you know, we're not really leaving. We're coming back at 10 o'clock in September. It's a, ga it's a gamble. It's a gamble. I'm betting everything that NBC will still be around in three months. That's not a given. The Tonight Show with Conan O'Brien was pulled in over 9 million views to its June 1st, 2009 premiere, doing extremely well in the coveted young demographic. Critics generally were favorable. Tom Shales of the Washington Post, once an O'Brien uh, detractor, wrote that there's an every indication that O'Brien would beat up would be up to the job of his illustration of illustrious predecessors. Older audiences, however, gradually turned off uh, program night later in the night. Seven episodes later, the late night with David O'Brien had edged above O'Brien for the first time. Zucker called O'Brien to reiterate that, that the general change was expected. Other executives were not as pleased. O'Brien and his team were not happy with the lack of promotion in the show's early weeks against the wishes of several PR executives. Zucker authorized a press release proclaiming O'Brien the new king of late night a move that attracted ridicule. Zucker later regretted the decision, and many of O'Brien's Tonight Show offices were displeased. Over the following weeks, Zucker grew weary with O'Brien's performance and what he regarded as a booking of the wrong stars. When the controversy erupted over a joke Letterman told regarding politician Sarah Palin's family, Zucker eagerly pushed O'Brien, the O'Brien camp, to bring her on the show, eyeing an opportunity to regain viewers and perhaps making it a turning point for a show not doing particularly well. O'Brien disliked the idea of finding it pondering to viewers that would alienate fans and the press, as well as hurt his relationship with Letterman. This reaction drove Zucker nuts, wrote Bill Carter in The War of Late Night. As a producer, he knew how to manipulate audiences. That was simply what you do as part of the job. As a boss, he couldn't believe Conan would stand in the way of what was obviously the smart business move for him and his network. Meanwhile, Letterman continued to score higher ratings than O'Brien with regular regularity. His fall interview with President Barack Obama topped uh, the Tonight Show by over 2.6 million viewers. And the next week, a scandal involving attempted extortion and personal affairs made, made him talk of the country. By August, the Tonight Show was still losing a letterman in total viewers, but owing, owing to O'Brien's appeal to a younger audience, maintained its lead in the touted demographics. Meanwhile, Leno was candid regarding his plans for his new show, even though it's 10 o'clock, we're going to pretend it's 11.30. The Jay Leno Show premiered on September 14, 2009, featuring guests Jerry Seinfeld and Kanye West, shortly after West's famous rant against Taylor Swift at the MTV Music Awards. The program racked up 18.4 million viewers, doing much better than O'Brien's Tonight Show, debuting both overall numbers on young demographics. Some critics were harsh with Leno's program, with many viewing it as a rehash of the show that he had just left. The Jay Leno show saw its audience size fall to 6 million views. As the weeks wore on, producer Vickers noticed that the NBC's plan to save the best segments, such as Leno's signature headlines for the last order, to provide a stronger lead-in to the local news is possibly hurting the program. In one month, Leno often only made third place, and executives became more uneasy. Ratings, the NBC affiliates... Uh, news broadcast 11 slipped by mid-October, especially on NBC-owned operating stations in the largest markets, creating high anxiety for the network. Tonight Show still retained a slightly high share of the coveted 18 to 24 demographic against Letterman, but those numbers slipped even more when the Jay Leno Show began. Affiliates began to complain, and in addition to a domino effect on the local news, O'Brien and his 1230 successor, 
Late Night with Jimmy Fallon, the disastrous ratings for Leno's damage NBC's existing primetime lineup. The cascade caused by the lower 10 uh, the lower 10 p.m. lead-in was so significant that local news viewers fell an average of 25% nationwide with a decline in some markets uh, being as high as 50%. By November, two months after the debut of the Jay Leno Show, ratings for The Tonight Show were brought down roughly 2 million viewers a night uh, year-to-year from when Leno hosted the program. Clearing the 10 p.m. time period for Leno also damaged relations with producers of shows that previously occupied that slot, such as Law & Order SVU, uh, Dick Wolf. Leno offered an October 29 interview to Broadcast Cable, which included a notable exchange on the possibility of ever returning to 11.35 slot. If it were offered to me, I would, ta- would I take it? If that's what they want to do, sure. That would be fine if they wanted to. They wanted to. Energy trades were abuzzed over the 11.30 comment, and when Conan's sidekick Andy Richter called the move less than classy in the chat with TV squad Letterman called Ludwin to complain. As most programs went to repeats in December, the staff at Leno, nobly Vickers, had focused on grabbing big-name guests for the month in an effort to save the show. These efforts were cut short when the show, when she was informed that had until the end of November. Affiliates' calls on an alarming rate and research analysis revealed Leno's drastically reduced median age for The Tonight Show to age 56 46 could possibly reflect that he was too niche for the earlier time. In an effort to take Leno off the air, it was halted by his contract, which had a highly unusual pay-and-play pay provision in contrast to a typical pay-or-play agreement, which guaranteed NBC would both air his program and pay him for up to two years. On November 6th, NBC chairman Jeff Gaspin received an email from the sales division with a suggestion to cancel O'Brien and reinstate Leno as host of The Tonight Show. Upon Gaspin's uh, legal interpretation of Leno's contract, the option simply to move Leno back to The Tonight Show became relevant, when very poor ratings came in for the November sweeps period, affiliates became and board members demanded something to be done regarding the 10 p.m. lead-in. If something were not done by January, the affiliates reasoned they would insist syndicated programming or move up their newscast broadcast and preempt Leno. Desperate for a decision, Ludwin, Gusman, and Zucker kicked around possible solutions for the dilemma, such as cutting Leno to a few nights per week. In an attempt to alleviate the situation, Vickers moved the most popular comedy segments to the second act, of Jay Leno show moving their 10 to 10 segment to later in the broadcast. Gaspin again received the suggestion to put Leno back at 11.30 and soon began working on a plan to cut the Jay Leno show to a half hour leading into Conan's Tonight Show around midnight. From their perspective, the biggest casualty in the scenario was the late night with Jimmy Fallon, who would be bumped to 1 a.m. The reconfiguration lineup could start in March 2010 following the NBC's coverage of the Winter Olympics. Zucker preferred a plan for Leno to include an occasional guest and comedy piece. While Dick Ebersol favored returning to the way it once was, with Leno at 11.35 and O'Brien at 12.30, Gaspin laid out his plans to Zucker one week before Christmas. Both agreed to wait, uh, wait out the new year as not to run anybody's, own anybody's holiday season. The plan moved forward after confirming confirmation that O'Brien's contract did not guarantee a strict 11.35 start time. Uh, Gaspin planned to disclose the news to Letterman first, and then, if all went well, inform O'Brien the following week. When Gaspin laid out the proposal to Leno and Vickers, the response was positive, even though they questioned how such a plan would work. Gaspin reasoned that the company was in a desperate situation, and he indicated his confidence that O'Brien would go along with the changes, too. When Leno embraced the plan, Vickers was unnerved. Without a guest or music act, she might have no substitute studio audience, which could have dis- which could have disastrous consequences for Leno. In order to meet with 
O'Brien the following Monday, Gaspin was forced to cancel a meeting with the affiliate board, but promised that by doing so he would have an answer to the 10 p.m. problem that would likely be something they'd be happy with. After his January 6th show, O'Brien with manager Gavin Polone and laminated, uh, and laminated anxiety with the ratings, just think Leno was going to hurt me in some way. News regarding Leno leaked to FTTV by the following morning, which set the internet a buzz about the rumors with, uh, regarding both Leno and O'Brien's fates. Gaspin scheduled an immediate meeting with Ross and O'Brien as soon as they arrived and explained the prospective changes. I know, I know how hard I worked for this, responded O'Brien. It was promised to me. I had a shitty lead-in. Following the tense 15-minute meeting, O'Brien and Ross returned to the Tonight Show. The TMZ reported the story with the headline reading, NBC Shake-Up, Leno Comes Out on Top. O'Brien called the emergency stop meeting and assured all that they had not been canceled and all would be fine. The TMZ story deeply bothered O'Brien. The time of the leak, the TMZ, coming out soon after a story that Jay Leno had been canceled, screamed an attempt as a, a diversionary action. And he and Ross reasoned that the need were... That's to be told of the changes. But the following morning, both men determined that they would have to leave NBC. And O'Brien opened the night's show with, we've got a great show for you tonight. I have no idea what when it will air, but it's going to be a great show. And there was a, a public show. And uh, O'Brien's press release went out in mid-day uh, on January 11th, which he addressed to people of Earth. For 60 years, The Tonight Show, as they're immediately following the local news, I certainly believe that delaying the Tonight Show into the next day to accommodate another comedy program would seriously damage what I consider the greatest franchise in the history of the broadcast. The Tonight Show at 12.05 simply isn't the Tonight Show. So let's come to this. I cannot express on how much, how much I enjoyed this program and what an enormous personal disappointment it is for me to consider losing, losing it. My staff and I have worked unbelievably hard, and we are very proud of our contributions to the legacy of the Tonight Show, but I cannot participate in what I honestly believe is its destruction and uh leno and letterman criticized leno and um the only late night host remained neutral was fallon calling o'brien and leno two of my heroes and two of my friends he later joked there's been three hosts of late night david letterman conan o'brien and me and if there's one thing i've learned from dave and conan it's that hosting the show is a one-way ticket to not hosting tonight show Ironically, Jimmy Fallon was selected to replace the retiring Jay Leno as host of The Tonight Show in February of 2014. The comedians who came out in defense of Leno were far fewer intended to have a professional or personal relationship with the host. Speaking to the Hollywood Reporter, Jerry Seinfeld rebuffed the idea that NBC deserved blame and chastised O'Brien for pointing fingers. And there was negotiations. Uh, Conan... Uh, uh, got out of his contract and went to TBS. And that's uh, that's our take on life for today. Uh, don't forget to tune in this Thursday for the StuFX recap of 2020. And we're going to leave you with a, another great Christmas song, Let It Snow by the great Dean Martin. This is Stuart Myers for the StuFX saying ciao for now. Oh, the weather outside is frightful But the fire is so delightful And since we've no place to go Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow Man, it doesn't show signs of stopping And I brought me some corn for popping 
The lights are turned way down low Let it snow, let it snow When we finally kiss goodnight How I'll hate going out in the storm But if you really hold me tight All the way home I'll be warm And the fire is slowly dying And my dear, we're still goodbye But as long as you'd love me so Let it snow, let it snow and snow When we finally kiss goodnight How I'll hate going out in the storm But if you really grab me tight All the way home I'll be warm Oh, the fire is slowly dying And my dear, we're still goodbye But as long as you love me so Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow 